Good morning, everyone. I'd invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of Numbers, chapter 7. We'll be in chapter 7 into chapter 8. Now, before we get into chapter 7 this morning, I want to make an important point about how we read and understand material about the tabernacle and its relationship with Christ. You see, we tend to think that because the tabernacle was chronologically first, that when Jesus says that he was the temple, or that when John 1 says that Jesus tabernacled among us, or when we see parallels between his sacrifice and the sacrifices offered in the tabernacle, that the relationship runs from the tabernacle to Christ, that Christ patterned his life after what we see in the Word. But the Bible presents us with a very different picture of the relationship. For as we know, the Son of God existed prior to the tabernacle, for He was in the beginning. And if you look at verse 4 in chapter 8, you will see what is spoken of throughout the material on the tabernacle, namely that it was built according to a heavenly pattern. As Hebrews 8 says, They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. You see, the tabernacle was based upon a pattern. There was something that came before it. And that pattern is Christ. Christ is the true tabernacle. He is the true high priest offering himself as the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. And so when we come to the Old Testament and we read about the tabernacle and we see it as a shadow of Christ, it's not that Christ patterned his life after the tabernacle. Rather, it's that Moses was given a pattern as he went up upon the mountain And the pattern was Christ. So the reason that as we come to Numbers 7 and into Numbers 8, we see Jesus reflected in these verses is because they are based on Christ. And they sought to tell the people of God about the Christ who would come and offer His life for their salvation. So let us turn now our attention to God's Word as it points us to Christ. We'll read the introduction to the offerings in verses 1 through 5, and then we'll skip to verse 84 and read the summary of the offerings and then the final verses into chapter 8. This is God's holy word for his people. On the day when Moses had finished setting up the tabernacle and had anointed and consecrated it with all its furnishings and had anointed and consecrated the altar with all its utensils, The chiefs of Israel, heads of their fathers' houses, who were the chiefs of the tribes, who were over those who were listed, approached and brought their offerings before the Lord. Six wagons and twelve oxen, a wagon for every two of the chiefs, and for each one an ox. They brought them before the tabernacle. Then the Lord said to Moses, Accept these from them, that they may be used in the service of the tent of meeting, and give them to the Levites, to each man according to his service. Now down to verse 84. 
This was the dedication offering for the altar on the day when it was anointed from the chiefs of Israel. Twelve silver plates, twelve silver basins, twelve golden dishes, each silver plate weighing a hundred and thirty shekels and each basin seventy. All the silver of the vessels, two thousand four hundred shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The twelve golden dishes full of incense weighing ten shekels apiece according to the shekel of the sanctuary. All the gold of the dishes being a hundred twenty shekels. All the cattle for the burnt offering, twelve bulls, twelve rams, twelve male lambs a year old with their grain offering. And twelve male goats for a sin offering. And all the cattle for the sacrifice of peace offerings, twenty-four bulls. The ram, 60. The male goat, 60. The male lambs, a year old, 60. This was the dedication offering for the altar after it was anointed. And when Moses went into the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he heard the voice speaking to him from above the mercy seat that was on the ark of the testimony from between the two cherubim. And, he spoke, and it spoke to him. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and say to him, When you set up the lamps, the seven lamps shall give light in front of the lampstand. And Aaron did so. He set up its lamps in front of the lampstand, as the Lord commanded Moses. And this was the workmanship of the lampstand, hammered work of gold. From its base to its flowers it was hammered work, according to the pattern that the Lord had shown Moses. So he made the lampstand. This is God's holy word for us as people. Let us pray. Blessed you are, Lord, great God, everlasting sovereign God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. O God, whom we long to know, O burning fire within our souls, grant to us your Holy Spirit, that in knowing your word we might know your presence that in following Your ways we might live in Your light. And we pray it all through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Alright men, if you haven't gotten your Valentine's Day gifts picked out, you're running out of time. It's time to find that perfect expression of your love Hopefully for under $40. Will you go with roses, chocolates, a card, or jewelry? Will you go with the old standards or venture out into something new? Now I have heard people complain that Valentine's Day gifts are not important. Right? That's just a holiday made up by Hallmark and Russell Stover's. I don't need a holiday to tell me to express my love. I'll do it the one day a year I feel like it. But whether you celebrate Valentine's Day or not, gifts for our spouses and our loved ones are an important way of expressing our love. They're a tangible expression, a small token of our deeper devotion to someone. You shouldn't give flowers to buy their love. You shouldn't be giving chocolates out of obligation. Rather, your gift should be given to display the gratitude and joy you have because someone has chosen to share their life with you in all of your weaknesses 
and brokenness. And so a true gift of love should likewise be a sign that you too have given your life to them. In our passage for this morning, we come to the dedication of the tabernacle. The Lord in His grace has chosen to dwell with the people of Israel. He has adopted them as His own. He says, I will be your God. You will be my people. And as we saw last week, He has determined to bless them with His gracious presence. He has truly given Himself over to the people of Israel. In chapter 7, what we find is Israel's response to God's grace. They offer to the Lord gifts that are not aimed at buying His favor or bargaining for His blessing, but rather we see an offering that flows from a heart of love and gratitude to the Lord for what He has already done. You see, the offerings that we read about in number 7 go beyond the tangible gift to the heart of what God desires from His people. A gracious God does not desire the gift, Rather, a gracious God desires the giver. The sacrifices will be offered. The Lord will provide what we need. The relationship between God and His people has been established. His desire is now not for bulls and goats, but for hearts and lives. The Lord desires a living sacrifice from His people. You see, the Word of God tells us that He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And that's a poetic way of saying He owns everything. He doesn't need anything from us. Everything in all the earth is His. The Word of God tells us that God is gracious, not demanding payment for His acts of salvation. The Word of God tells us that He gave His Son to die for us while we were still sinners. So what could we possibly give in return? God has given to us His Son, Jesus Christ. What is a worthy gift to give in return? Is it not your own life? As Romans 12 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. You see, the mercies of God come prior. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. God doesn't desire the gift, but the giver. He does not want a dead sacrifice. He wants a living sacrifice. So how do we do that? How do we live in such a way that we're not trying to bargain for God's blessing, but we understand that we have received God's blessing in Christ. We're not trying to buy something from Him. We are trying to offer our lives as a living sacrifice in response to His grace. In our text, I, say, I see three different ways that Israel responded to God's grace, offering themselves as a living sacrifice. First, a living sacrifice gives of their resources to the Lord. Second, a living sacrifice communes with the Lord. And third, a living sacrifice offers their heart in worship to the Lord. So the first point is that to be a living sacrifice, we must be willing to give of our resources to the Lord. 
The first 88 verses of chapter 7 detail the gifts that each of the tribes of Israel offered to the Lord at the dedication of the tabernacle. It reads a bit like one of those year-end giving statements. I'm sure that as you've been doing your taxes, you're familiar with that. You get a list of all the gifts that you have given to the church throughout the year. And as we read verses 1 through 88, what we see is 12 accounts of the gifts that each of the 12 tribes of Israel had given to ensure that worship in the tabernacle is executed according to God's instructions. There are a few points that need to be made concerning these offerings. First, these offerings were given with submission to the needs of of ministry to be a living sacrifice means you give according to God's terms not your own for example the carts and the oxen that we read about in the first few verses of chapter 7 they're not divided the way that one might expect rather those who carry the most holy things don't receive anything because they must carry the ark and the furnishings of the tabernacle by hand. Rather, it is to the least important family that the majority of the carts and oxen go. I can imagine a donor saying, well, hey, you know, I want my money to be used for something visible. I want it to be used for something really, really important. But sometimes gifts given to the kingdom need to be used to do things like fix toilets. They need to be used for the lights to stay on. They need to be used in a way that you might not think is the most glamorous thing. But God is not interested in the gift. He's interested in the giver. And the giver must submit himself completely to the purposes of God when he gives a gift to the Lord. Not so that he would shine forth as this great donor, but that the Lord would shine forth as the great God that he is. The second thing that we see about these gifts is that they were given for the needs of ministry. You see, the main activity of the tabernacle was sacrifice. And so the people offered to the Lord sacrifices. Oxen, rams, bulls, goats were all given because that is what was needed for the worship of the tabernacle to go forward. Yes, the Lord owns the cattle on a thousand hills, but He entrusts those cattle to the care of human beings. And when He calls for His property back, it must be given. Another thing that we see is that much silver and gold is given for the ministry. Now, when I first read this, I thought, well, wait a second. How did a bunch of Hebrew slaves pick up all this gold and silver? Where did they get this from? But if you remember, as they were fleeing Egypt, the Lord softened the hearts of the Egyptians so that they would give of all their treasure to Israel. All this gold and silver that they offered to the Lord wasn't theirs to begin with. It was given to them by the grace of God. And so all the Lord is doing is asking for a small portion back of what He had already given them. You see, whatever you have is a gift from the Lord. 
And there are needs in ministry that must be met so that the church might go forward and proclaiming the gospel. Those who are offering their lives to the Lord as a living sacrifice must offer back to the Lord the resources that He has so graciously given to them. And third, we see that these gifts are given for the purpose of ministry. I never try to guilt people into giving to the church. I don't really think it's a good tactic to try to make people feel guilty. It goes against the gospel message to make people feel like, hey, you have to give to the church to be right with God. I know that there is great blessing. There's great financial freedom that comes when you begin to practice tithing, when you give to the Lord what He has called us to give. But I realize that until you fall in love with the ministry and the purposes of ministry, it will be hard for you to give anything. For where your heart is, your money will also be. Israel's contribution was to ensure that the ministry of the tabernacle began. They had a heart to see it happen. And the way that we offer our lives as a living sacrifice to the Lord is through falling in love with the purposes of ministry. When you desire in your heart to hear the word proclaimed, when you desire in your heart for right worship of the Lord to be practiced, for our covenant children to be raised in the fear of the Lord, for the gospel to go forth into Lynchburg and into the world, when your heart longs to see these purposes of ministry go forward, then you will give the resources God has entrusted to you and see that these purposes of ministry go forward. This is what was so powerful about the widow's two mites. It wasn't the gift. It was the giver. It wasn't the wealth. It was the sacrifice of giving her last little bit to the Lord. Because she was offering her very life to His purposes. The giving merely displays that we have given ourselves completely over to the Lord. Several years back, April and I ran across a book I'm sure most of you are familiar with, The Five Love Languages. It explains how different people prefer to receive love in primarily one of five ways. Words of affirmation, receiving gifts, acts of service, quality time, or physical touch. Now after reading this book, it became apparent that April, my wife, feels most loved when I spend time with her. For Valentine's Day, I could buy her extravagant gifts. I could do all sorts of acts of service. I could write her love poems. But if I am not spending all evening with her, talking and sharing an experience with her, she will not feel loved. Time is the most important part of my life that she desires. Some people talk about quality time over quantity of time, but in my house, the quality of time is measured by the quantity of time that I give. (laughs) And if we would offer our lives to the Lord as a living sacrifice, we must realize that our time will have to be given to communing with the Lord. 
Look at verse 89 and see the first thing that happens once the tabernacle is dedicated. And when Moses went into the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he heard the voice speaking to him from above the mercy seat that was on the ark of the testimony from between the two cherubim. And it spoke to him. Moses now enters the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, and it's been dedicated through the gifts of the people. He goes in to speak with the Lord. And in the tabernacle, the Lord meets with Moses. That word translated spoke at the end there of verse 89 has a sense of dialogue. It's not just a one-way conversation. Moses and the Lord are communing together. And to be a living sacrifice to the Lord, you must give yourself to the sacrifice of prayer and meditation upon the Word of God. In our fast-paced society, our relationship with the Lord can often get reduced to just a few moments in the morning or a quick devotion in the evening. But these quick dips into the Word of God is not going to change us very much. To be a living sacrifice, we must begin to find ways of spending long periods of time in prayer and in God's Word. We need to be like tea that steeps long enough for the flavor to be diffused into our souls. Any of you who like tea know that a quick dip in won't change the water into tea. And our quick dips into the Word won't change our hearts. We must soak for long periods of time reading the Word of God, thinking deeply about what the Lord is saying to us, and by the power of the Spirit and prayer, pouring out our hearts to God. I know that it can be hard to find time. I know that we feel extremely busy in our lives. But a living sacrifice will stay upon the altar and commune with the Lord. Now Moses had a unique role among God's people to enter the Holy of Holies to speak with the Lord. Yet for us under the new covenant, we have been given access to God the Father through the Son. So that as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. A living sacrifice communes with the Lord through Jesus Christ. Yet communing with the Lord takes time. If we are going to be transformed into the image of Christ from one degree of glory to another, then we must stand with unveiled faces before the Lord, reading His Word, meditating upon it, and pouring our hearts out in prayer. Someone once commented that the problem with a living sacrifice is that it has a tendency to crawl away from the altar. It is one thing to offer our lives to the Lord for a moment. But to commune with the Lord in word and prayer is a daily discipline to stay on the altar, to say, I will be a living sacrifice this day and commune with my Lord. Now, 
As Moses communes with the Lord, he's given direction and wisdom for the people of God and for the worship of the tabernacle. But the first bit of instruction that Moses receives seems a bit obscure. If you look down at chapter 8, starting in verse 1, there we read, Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and say to him, When you set up the lamps, the seven lamps shall give light in front of the lampstand. The first oracle that we have recorded is about how to arrange furniture. God says to Moses, tell Aaron that the lamp needs to go on that side of the room, not that side of the room. Right? You've done this before. Is it right? Is it straight? To the little left, a little to the right. And the Lord is arranging the furnishings of the tabernacle. And the arrangement of these pieces, though to us might seem insignificant, is extremely significant. That is, there was a purpose to where everything was placed. The lampstand had to be arranged so that it shed light on the twelve loaves of bread that were placed before the Lord as an offering. These loaves represented the twelve tribes of Israel. That the twelve tribes of Israel would be offered to the Lord. And the light of the lamp was the glory of the Lord that shone upon them. The arrangement of the furniture was communicating that as the people of the Lord were offered as a living sacrifice to God, His light would shine upon them. And if we would be a living sacrifice to the Lord, then we too must give ourselves over to worshiping the Lord according to His Word. Everything down even to the arrangement of the furniture was important because it was after the pattern that God had shown. It was after the pattern of Christ. You see, we offer ourselves to the Lord through submitting to His way of being worshipped. That is through Christ. That is through hearing the Word of Christ. And that is through speaking and singing songs of worship and praise through prayer and the sacraments and offerings. We offer ourselves to the Lord through submitting to His command to set aside the Sabbath to rest in the Lord. We offer ourselves to the Lord through gathering with other believers in a visible expression of the communion of the saints. We offer ourselves in worship when we worship according to the pattern of Christ, not seeking to come to the Father according to our own righteousness, but seeking to come to the Father through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we saw in our opening comments, the pattern that was shown to them was Christ. And that is how we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. We offer our hearts in worship to the Lord through Jesus Christ, our Savior. This is the gift that the Lord desires. Spiritual worship. Not just a moment, but a life. Not a bull or a ram or a goat, but a human heart offered to the Lord. So what does it mean to be a living sacrifice? Well, it means to give up control. To give up control of your resources knowing that they are the Lord's. 
to give up control of your time, knowing that we must commune with the Lord and giving up our hearts to the Lord, seeking to worship Him through Christ alone. Your resources belong to the Lord. You have laid them upon the altar for Him to do as He wills. Your time belongs to the Lord. You have laid yourself before Him to listen to His Word and to call out to Him in prayer. And your heart belongs to the Lord. You have given yourself over to worshiping Him according to His Word, the pattern which is Christ. To be a living sacrifice is to reflect in your life What the old hem declares so powerfully. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us go now to the Lord in prayer. Almighty God, we come now to you seeking to offer our lives as a living sacrifice through Christ our Lord. Not seeking to bargain with you. Not seeking to receive from you anything that we might purchase. But only in gratitude because of what you have done for us in Christ Jesus. We offer ourselves to you holy. May you take our whole lives as a living sacrifice unto you. We pray it in Christ's holy name. Amen.